So this morning's sermon title, Courage, Dear Heart, it's a quote from The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which is one of the books of the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And if you haven't read or watched these movies, or this series, I highly recommend that you do. It's much more than just a story for children. Dawn Treader is a story of a grand and sometimes frightening journey with a girl named Lucy as one of the main characters. Aslan, a great lion, is a Christ figure, as he is in all of the Narnia stories, meaning he represents Jesus. And the context of the quote is this. Lucy and the others are on a ship heading into the dark, unknown waters, everyone's scared, and they're getting worried that Aslan has led them in the wrong direction. And at one point in the midst of some turmoil, Lucy whispers, Aslan, if you ever loved us, send help now. And after she whispers this, Lewis writes, and I love this line, because it, it, it's so indicative of our lives and how it plays out with us. He said, the darkness did not grow any less, but she began to feel a little better. And then Lucy hears this gentle whisper and reply, courage, dear heart. And even though she cannot see him in that moment, she knows in her heart that Aslan is near. As we all know, life can feel dark. It can get scary at times. We may wonder where God is in those moments. Our personal lives, our nation, our world are, are often repeatedly battered by one storm after another. My prayer for this message today is, is that it would remind us that no matter what happens, no matter what we're going through or what this world may throw at us, that we can trust that God is in control. That we can take heart and press forward courageously because God is with us, God is for us, and he who is in us is far greater than he who is in this world. Scripture tells us that God is very near to the brokenhearted. He is but a breath or a whisper away. And he has not and will not abandon us. Even in times of darkness and confusion, even when the storms of life cause us fear or pain, we can be sure there's a gentle whisper from Aslan, from Jesus, somewhere in the background. Courage, dear heart. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we come before you this morning together. One body. In full agreement. On one accord. Father, we, we are consumed sometimes with fear. We allow fear to guide us, to lead us, when it's you who should be doing that. And so, Lord, I pray that as this message comes forth, Lord, as that these hearts and minds would receive it, that they would address their fear here in this room today. Some of us may not think we carry much fear. But, Lord, I pray that you would reveal whatever needs to be revealed. And, Lord, use me, use this word to change us, to transform us, and bring us closer to you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a reason that I chose this sermon title. 
very personal to me. You know, anybody that's worked or served in ministry for any amount of time will tell you that it is extremely challenging. There are moments where you realize this is so much bigger than me. Like if, if God doesn't show up right here, right now, there's no way I can do this. And there's moments that just crush you sometimes. You know, we get into it, obviously, because of the calling, but there's also these things, this compassion and empathy that we carry that God has given us, and you have to have those things to serve, right? But in that, your heart can be broken many times. And so I'm going to share this one story where this all started. A friend of mine had a son who was dying of cancer. He got diagnosed at 14 years old, and over two years, he withered away and eventually passed at 16. And I was with him at the beginning, and I prayed over this, this boy, and, and, and I watched this whole thing play out, and it was extremely difficult for everyone that knew him and knew this boy. And um, there was a Sunday morning, I was getting ready for church. And I got a call from him, and he said, I need you to bring me to Hasbro in Providence. I got to go right now. I got to go back there. I said, what's going on? He says, the hospital just called me, and I have to go say goodbye to my son. And so, of course, I said, I'll be right there. But in my head and all the things that started whirling around, it was like, oh, boy, this is going to be a tough, tough thing. And I couldn't imagine what he was going through. And the ride up there was challenging for both of us. And we get there and we walk off the elevator. And there's probably 30 family members waiting. And they lead us to the room. And I kind of stayed at the door. I wanted to sort of give them their time and wait and see how they wanted to do this. And he says, give us a little bit and we'll call you in for prayer and and so on. I said, absolutely. But I got a glimpse in, and I saw the boy, and he looked nothing like he did when I first met him. He was withered away to 48 pounds, and I was overwhelmed. Who am I? Of 30 people, family members, who are going through this horrible, tragic time, and I'm supposed to be the voice of encouragement and hope, supposed to comfort and so I went down into the chapel, and I prayed. I think I cried more than I prayed. I wanted to get it all out. And I begged God to be with me in that moment. I said, God, there's no way I can do this. I am so ill-equipped for this, it's not even funny. I just want to break down on the floor with this family. And then I got the call, and I walk into the room, and they're all gathered around him. And by the grace of God... As I was walking in the room, the words, courage, dear heart, came to me. I had read the book. I had seen the movies. Big fan of Lewis. But I knew what that quote meant. You know, that quote, when, when Lucy was so scared of what was to come, she didn't know how she was going to navigate this or if they were even going to make it through. And she said, if you ever love me, if I ever needed you, it's now. Please send help now. And that was sort of what I was praying in the chapel downstairs. And that's when she heard the whisper of God, courage, dear heart. 
And so ever since, every time I walk into a difficult situation in ministry, every time I'm, I'm, I'm ready to sort of do what God's called me to do, I, I, I go through this. We all have our little things. But I always repeat those words, courage, dear heart, that I learned that day. So Pastor Brian and I spend a lot of time in, in conversation, and it's a really good thing most of the time. We talk about the state of our lives, the ministry, the lives of the people we're ministering to, and how we can be better at all of it. And in order to be better, we need to know what needs aren't being met or what challenges need to be identified, and then address those things. Put a plan together. Pray about them. Bring them to God. And a couple of weeks back, Pastor Brian was sitting in my office, and we were talking about how sad it is that Many in the church don't fully commit to discipleship. That how people we think are, are fully committed will walk away when things get tough. Not necessarily from us, but from God. They'll abandon this Christian walk because things didn't go as they hoped or planned or their preferences or needs weren't met the way they wanted them to be. Or things got scary and you were starting to build relationship with people that demanded you be vulnerable and take your mask off. Who brought their mask in today, by the way? Take it off. Because discipleship means that we're willing to bear all, to be fully vulnerable, to allow people into places in our lives that we never have before. And when that happens, amazing things happen. Healing happens, breakthrough happens, growth happens, God is glorified, the church is strengthened, and we grow tremendously. But it's sad that it doesn't happen to the extent that it should. I, I, I then pointed out that I've noticed a big problem in the church in recent years, and it's become more and more obvious to me now than it ever has been, and that's fear. Fear. Fear is crippling us, church. It's stopping us from being the church God has called us to be. It's stopping us as individuals from pursuing the calling he has for our lives. And I'm not talking about CFC because there are amazing things happening here. I mean, look around. This is a beautiful thing that God is doing. I'm talking about the church as a whole. It's crippling us. And Pastor Brian you know, he pointed something out that I thought was really interesting. Dare I say, profound. <laughs> he must have heard it from someone else. <laughs> but he said, you know, for the first time in this generation, the church, this, all of us here that are alive and in part of the church now, are facing something that really we never have before in the United States. We're in the minority we're in the minority. Our perspectives, our beliefs, our convictions, the things we stand for, the things we stand against, all of those things at one time were the majority perceptions and perspectives and opinions. But now, as we find ourselves in the minority, it gets a little scary. But it's also, as I was thinking after talking to him, it's a good thing. Not because, you know, we're deteriorating as a culture. I think it's just because we're being revealed as a culture is what's happening. The facade of Christianity has fallen off. 
that mask. And it's causing us, it's prompting us, it's saying that we need to now be the church that we were called to be. That we need to rise up now more than we ever have. That it's not about half-hearted Christianity anymore. It's not about just sitting in a chair or a pew on Sunday and listening to the right radio station. That this call that Jesus has, this mandate to be disciples, to follow Jesus and do life together fully is now more important than it ever has been. And that's our mandate. It's not a, a, a thought, a suggestion, or opinion. Jesus says, now go. Make disciples. That's my plan. That's the last thing he said when he left. So it's, of course, of great importance. It was his marching orders for us. And the thing that stops us from overcommitting or, or the fear of overcommitting or the fear of entering in is fear. In the Bible, it tells us hundreds of times, do not fear. Some translations, they say it says it 365 times, one for each day. Nice sentiment. And maybe that's the case. But there's no other command, there's no other statement made more in Scripture than those words in some form or another. Do not fear. So it must mean something. It must be pretty important. Amen? There are two types of fear the Bible mentions. One is beneficial. It's a reverential awe of God, a reverence for his power and his glory. It includes a proper respect for his wrath and his anger. And Proverbs tells us that this healthy fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. And then the second, the second is the one I'm addressing here today. It leads us to sin. It leads us to discouragement. And it even steals us away from our God-given purpose or callings. Fear is defined as an emotion aroused by threatening evil or impending pain accompanied by a desire to avoid or escape it, apprehension or dread. Fear is an emotion, it says. But you know, trust, trust is an act of the will. Without a willful act of trust in the Lord, fear will overcome us. And that has its consequences, church. There's a story in the book of Genesis that I want to share with with you all today that speaks to this very thing. And I know we're just coming off of uh, Thanksgiving. Anybody have a messed up family? Everybody's like, I saw a couple of these. Yeah, he's right beside me, right? Shh. Not us. But if you do, you might relate well to this. It's the story of a man named Jacob and his brother Esau. Jacob basically stole his twin brother's blessing by deceiving his father Isaac, who was on his deathbed. And because of that, Jacob feared for his life since Esau planned to kill him. And ironically, we read a little later that God confirms this blessing was always Jacob's and that he would have eventually received it without having to deceive his father or steal from Esau. I wonder how many times we've taken back our will to get, what something, to get something that was already ours, that God already planned for us. 
We'll get back to that in a minute. See, it's worth mentioning that this is the family of, that God had chose to bring salvation to the world. This dysfunctional family. Yet another reminder that no matter how poorly we behave, how messy our lives get, that God will in all, it, God's will and perfect plan will always prevail. Always. It doesn't matter what we do or how we behave in light of that. However, there's a quote that I love, for you will certainly carry out God's purpose, however you act. But it makes a difference to whether you serve like Judas or like John. And the reality is, is that no matter what we do, we cannot derail God's plan or will, but we have a choice as to who we are in that process. Do we want to serve like a Judas? Do we want to betray him or turn from him when things are tough or where something a little more tempting or appetizing comes along? Or do we want to commit ourselves to full service? Do we want to say, no matter what happens, God, no matter what goes wrong or what goes right, I am with you because I know you're with me. I think the question is obvious. The answer is obvious to that question. The question is, though, is, is will we? Jacob was a liar and a manipulator who was driven by fear and anxiety. And the older I get and the more work I do in ministry and, and, you know, previously working with human services, with people in all sorts of situations, I can say that this is very common, that people who are overwrought with fear and anxiety are often liars and manipulators. Church, dare I say that most of us live in fear? That the reason the church is so divided or even powerless at times is because we've become comfortable and fearful. Two of the greatest opponents of the church, two of our greatest, greatest foes, comfort and fear. They ground us. They keep us from pursuing our callings. They, they keep us from being the men and women that we were called to be. They keep us from stepping out of the boat, from getting involved with ministry. They keep us in our seats. And it hurts the church as a whole. I'm going to break this down a little more through three points. And those three points are fear steals, courage is the cure, and love always wins. So in Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 through 7, I'm going to start there. The title of this portion, actually, in my Bible, it says, Jacob's Fear of Esau. It says, Now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And Jacob said when he saw them, This is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanam. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell you, my Lord, that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you. Oh, and by the way, 400 men are with him. 
So just brief pause. Jacob is sending out his messengers to meet Esau, and basically he's trying to grease the knob a little bit. I got all kinds of good stuff before you get here. And the return messages is, oh, he's already on his way, and he's got 400 guys with him. And then it says, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. So here we are. We see Jacob again reacting and acting and responding out of fear. How many of us here in this room know that fear is a liar? How many of us know? I want you to turn to someone near you. I want you to say, fear is a liar. It makes us do some stupid things, doesn't it? It also keeps us from doing the things we should. You know, I think you know Pastor Brian and my stories, our stories about how fear controlled us and imprisoned us for most of our lives, some form of it. Right, for me personally, on the outside, most people, you know, would be really surprised to hear me say that. Because I carried myself in such a way that it didn't look like I was fearful. But that was my mask. That was the role I created to survive what was going on internally and externally in my life. And so I put off that I was, I was confident and I put off that I was tough. And you know, inside I was scared and all of these things I was doing was just a survival, survival mode I had put myself in because I was petrified, petrified of what life might bring me. We know that Jacob first fled his family out of fear for his life because he had stolen his brother's blessing. We also know that he lied and stole because he was afraid that he wouldn't get the blessing that was already promised to him by God. And as I mentioned, and we'll read a little later, that God confirms this blessing was always Jacob's and that he would have eventually received it without having to deceive his father or steal it from his brother. Anyone here have a tough time waiting on God and his promises? I said, did anyone here have a tough time waiting on God and his promises? It's okay, you can interact. <laughs> Some people holding up two hands, I love it. Has it ever led you to take things into your own hands? One yes? Yeah, has it ever? Yeah, often, right? Oh no, God, you're not doing this fast enough. Oh no, this isn't happening the way I thought it should. Well, I'm gonna take control of this because I, I know I can do this. I'll fix this. How'd that work out for you? How's that usually work out? Disaster, sad, ugly. That's usually how it goes. So like I said, when we commit ourselves to trusting God and his plan, we can overcome the fear that causes us to take our own will back or do things our own way. Trust is a big piece here in courage. It's huge. We see now in Genesis 32 that a reunion is about to happen between two brothers, and Jacob is once again scared, full of fear. It says, greatly afraid and distressed in the scripture. Again, he reacts out of that fear instead of trusting God, being brave, and allowing things to play out as they should. 
He's doing things that he thinks will make this easier or better for him. He's surviving based on what he, his fear is telling him might or will happen. Anxiety is a funny thing, and I struggled with it for many years. And by the grace of God, he delivered me from that. And I can remember panic attacks where I had no idea why I was even panicking. And I know some of you can understand that. And it's painful, and it's not something to take lightly. But the reality is, is it can make us act a fool. It takes us right out of our character. And so here's Jacob again being run by fear and anxiety. Here he is, cowering to his brother and offering him all of his stuff, worrying about what that meeting is going to look like instead of trusting God. How many of us need to trust God in those moments? How many times have have you watched a, a moment in your life play out that you were so worried about and fearful about, and then everything came to pass, and none of the things that you worried about were even present or an issue at all whatsoever. Fear is a liar. The powerful thing, though, isn't it? It leads us to sin. It steals us from our callings. It causes us to construct our own fortresses instead of allowing God to be that safe place for us. And it leads us to overworking, exhaustion, and anxiety. It makes us slaves to our jobs and money. It drives a wedge between us and our families. It weakens our churches and communities. And it causes us to justify or lash out instead of learning and growing through opposition and hardship. Ouch. Think about that for a moment. How fear has a big part in all of those things. We spend our whole lives sometimes running from it. Working as hard as we can to prevent what might happen or might not happen. And before you know it, you're in your final years or days. And all fear has done is stole your life from you. We know that the spirit of fear is not from God. We know that, don't we? We know this simply because it leads us to sin. And we also know it because Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. That's the spirit that's in us, church. Courage, dear heart. Courage is in us. And that brings me to my next point, that courage is the cure. I'm going to read verses 24 through 30 in chapter 32. And this is where Jacob wrestles. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, when this man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. Now, there's a lot in a name, isn't there? 
It's your identity. It becomes that. Jacob meant deceiver. Literally. We'll get to that. But he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. And so Jacob named the place Peniel. And he said, I have seen God face to face. Yet my life has been preserved. I have seen God face to face. My life was spared. I'm going to tell you what courage is not. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is not the absence of fear. If you are fearful, or you tend to be a fearful person, I don't want you to be discouraged. Because there is this common misconception that brave people don't fear, and there could be nothing further from the truth. The difference is is that courage is rising up and pressing on even when fear is present. That's what courage is. It's overcoming your fears and doing what is right, what is noble, and what is what God wills, even when it's easier to just cower and hide and retreat. Courage is rising up. It's not allowing fear to own us. In verses 24 through 30, we see Jacob finally manning up, I guess you would say. After living in fear his whole life and running his whole life, he wrestles all night with a man, and because he prevails, he demands this man's blessing. Only this wasn't just a man. In verse 30, Jacob says, I have seen God face to face. And when he finally musters up some courage and fights for God's blessing in his life, he receives it. Now, theologians, they divide on this, or I went down a rabbit hole. You know, who is this man? Because I always had a kind of, you know, sometimes you have a preset belief of who this man is. Some say it's an angel of the Lord. Some say it was Jesus himself. You know, whatever. It doesn't really matter. I think they leave that open for a reason. Because the point is, is that it was some sort of divine experience where he could be blessed by this other man, this individual. And that's really all that matters. The story is about Jacob having an encounter with God that night. Courage changed Jacob's name, it gave him a completely new identity. In verses 27 through 28, the angel of God asks, what is your name? And I don't think it's because he didn't know Jacob's name. I don't think that's the case at all, especially if this was a divine being, right? He asks him this because Jacob had stolen a blessing by pretending to be someone else, right? He had hid from who he was for years, wanted something else, wanted to be someone else, And his name also meant liar, deceiver, usurper. And because of Jacob's courage that night, he received this new name, Israel, which meant one who contends with God. There's a writer named Anias Nin. 
She was a beatnik writer, 40s, 50s. And um, she wrote, life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. Life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. And I tend to believe that because fear causes our lives, our circles, and our experiences to become very small, doesn't it? It shrinks things. We, we live in this protective bubble, so we think. And so fear is what stops us from, from stepping out of the boat. It's what stops us from venturing out or getting the help we need even. It stops us from getting out of our comfort zones. And it keeps us crippled and away from everyone and everything. And our world becomes, it's right here, isn't it? When you're operating in fear and anxiety, you can't escape this area right here. But when we start to be courageous and we start to live and walk in the power and the knowledge of God and faith, what ends up happening? Everything becomes a lot bigger, doesn't it? We become eternally, uh, eternal vision is given to us, and we become a lot more aware of how big everything really is. Fear causes us to play it safe while courage leads us to step out of the unknown, out into the unknown. Courage expands our experiences. It expands our influences. And because of that, it empowers us to live a fuller life that in turn will impact, impact the lives of countless others. You see that all the time. Jacob received God's blessing that night. And I think oftentimes we believe that God's blessings are are being wealthy or being healed or are other tangible or earthly rewards, right? But sometimes the blessing that we get after we wrestle with God is, is that we learn who we really are. We get to learn who God really is. We get to learn what life is really all about. And it may not look the way we thought it would. You might still be poor after you wrestle with God. You might still be unhealthy after you wrestle with God. Your marriage may not be restored after you wrestle with God. But he's going to give you something far more valuable. Far far more valuable in that it has eternal value. Fuller life. How many of you sitting here today after you finally mustered up the courage to turn to God and wrestle with him, finally figured out who you were? How many of you? Jacob found himself that night through courage because courage is the cure. Courage will not only redefine us, but also our lives. Courage is necessary because life This life is not easy. It can wear us down, right? It can overwhelm us. Just when things are going great, something else happens, right? Never fails, someone said. Hills and valleys, mountaintops. I have a friend who used to say to me, mountaintops are great, but you can't stay there too long because the air is real thin. I didn't understand what he meant. Till I fell off that mountain a couple times. 
Psalm 27, verse 4 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. See, sometimes courage might just be being still, waiting on God, doing nothing. That takes courage sometimes, doesn't it? Right? You know, we don't, we don't see that as courageous. But again, it's internal courage. That's, that's what matters more. You know, I, I, Pastor Brian, again, we've shared our stories, and I can remember, you know, it took a lot of courage for us to walk through the, the, the doors of Teen Challenge and then stay there and be still. Allow God to work. You know why that takes courage? Because it hurts. You know it's going to hurt. You know that God's going to hold up a mirror to your life. You know he's going to reveal all that you are. He's going to reveal all the things you've done. He's going to remind you of all your mistakes. And I don't say that with pride because trust me, I don't know how I mustered up that courage. It definitely was the grace of God. But the reality is, is that in that waiting, in that being still, the Lord fights for you. He does things that we could not do or accomplish. We just pray and we wait, and sometimes it takes years. I think of the story of Joseph, you know, Jacob's son. What ended up happening? Jacob waited 22 years to find out his son was still alive after, after Joseph had been through a ton of stuff. You know, sometimes we just pray and we've got to wait and trust that God is going to bring someone to the end of themselves. We've got to trust that God will take care of this because he loves them more than you do. God will allow whatever needs to happen to them to happen so that they will come to know him. That's how grace works too, you know. Grace empowers, grace sustains. When it says, you know, nothing can separate us, your love found me, Nothing can separate us. When we sing those words, that's scriptural, right? That means once we're in Christ, there's nothing we can do to be separated from the love of God, that God is working in and through us. Philippians says in chapter one, he who began that good work in you is going to complete it. He's going to finish it. Be still and wait on that. And allow God to work in others. We don't fix people. We don't deliver people. God does. Take heart in that and be courageous. Instead of fear freezing us, we panic and react. And I challenge you not to do that anymore. Allow God to work. I want you to turn to your friend and say, courage is the cure. <laughs> courage, dear heart. So my last point, love always wins. I'm going to read in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 33 now. It says, then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids, and he put the maids and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. And this is a key, key phrase in this verse three. But he himself passed on ahead of them, and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And then Esau ran out to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. He lifted his eyes and he saw the women and the children and he said, who are these with you? 
He said, these are the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Now you see this humility in Jacob, right? He's calling him his servant. He's calling Esau his Lord. But this, this reunion, this beautiful reunion is happening. And then the maids came near with their children and they bowed down. And Leah likewise came near with her children and they bowed down. And then afterward, Joseph came near with Rachel and they bowed down. And he said, what do you mean by all this company which I have met? And he said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. In the sight of you, Esau, I want your favor. And Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. Let what you have be your own. I don't want what's yours. Now Jacob had taken what was his. But here's Esau saying, you can have what's yours. And so there's the blessing that he's wrestled for. So much is coming out of it. It's not just, you know, it's not just material, but it's grace. He's, he's the love of his brother, this reunion. And Jacob said, no, please, if, if now I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from, your, from my hand. He says, for I see your face as one who sees the face of God, and you have received me favorably. I love that part. I use that a lot. That verse reminds me of old reunions. Anyone ever have those? Like you haven't seen someone in a long, long time, and maybe there was some bad blood in the past, or maybe, you know, just whatever. But when you see them, time has healed some things, and it's just more important that you're reunited and together. And so, you know, you, you wrap your arms around each other, and it's this emotional reunion. It's like seeing the face of God, especially if you wrong them, and they're just being gracious to you. It is. It's like seeing God in that moment. And I'm going to talk about that. But instead of being met with anger or bitterness or resentment, Jacob is just met with love here. And it immediately changes the whole atmosphere, and Jacob's fear is completely alleviated now at this point. Right? 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Verse 10 is key here. It says, I see your face as one who sees the face of God, and you have received me favorably. And the other Bible versions I've read, it says, To see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now, now, connective word, now that you've received me favorably, favorably, it's like seeing God's face. Now that I've seen your grace, now that I've seen your love, now that I've seen your forgiveness, it's like seeing God himself. I'm realizing God right now in this reunion. I'm realizing the love of God that casts out fear right here, right now, because you've received me so well. See, when love is present, fear subsides. It does. We can, we can be going through the toughest, scariest times in our lives, right? But when we have love, it almost becomes bearable to some degree, doesn't it? Pastor Brian shared about the card he received from a friend a few years back when she wrote, keep loving people back to life. If you've been around us for any amount of time since then, then you know we use that phrase quite a bit. Not because it's just profound and beautiful, but because that's exactly what Christ did. That's exactly what Jesus did. He loved people back to life. And I think a lot of times out of fear, what we do is we avoid or we miss the opportunity to love, and all we do is get protective. The hard shell comes up, and all we want to do is argue. 
All we want to do is we're afraid that we might be wrong. We're afraid that if somebody doesn't agree with us or, or what the world thinks about what we think or, or what's going on in the world or what's going on in someone else's life might threaten ours, our beliefs, our positions. And rather than being loving, we miss that entire opportunity and we get into our debate mode. That works out well, right? Who's argued someone into the kingdom of God? Anyone? No, me neither. Doesn't work. When we know God's love, the impossible becomes possible. The impossible becomes possible. How many of you in this room, you don't have to raise your hand, but I just want you to think about this rhetorically. How many of you were impossible at one point in your life where they said, you'll never change, you're still impossible. How many of you said, you'll never change, you're always gonna be this way, this is who you are, you're this, you're that, and then the love of God came into your life through him and through others, and all of a sudden, you're someone new. Your life is being transformed, or has been transformed, because that love is present. Beautiful thing, right? I want you to turn to your friend, and I want you to say, love always wins. I'm going to ask the, the worship team and the prayer team to come up. I want you to just hear me out for a few more moments here. If we could hit the lights too, that would be nice. <clears throat> Why don't we stand? Church, we need to focus on God's promises, not our fears. Fear, as I said, is an emotion and trust is an act of the will. When you ask yourself as you're standing here, as you're singing and thinking, I know God's stirring, because that's what his word does. What fears have imprisoned you? What fears own you? What fears have stopped you from doing or becoming what you have been called to be or do? What fears do you need to be set free from today, church? In Psalm 34, it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Fear of the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. I challenge you now here, right in this place, in this room, to not let fear keep you frozen. I challenge you all to have a, a little courage this morning as you confront the fear in your life and whatever that might look like. Let me ask you an honest question and I just want an honest answer. Who needs prayer? Hold your hand up for a second and look around. You see that? We all need it. Who needs to bring some things to the Lord today? Okay. Here is your chance. Here is your opportunity. We're going to have some folks right up here right now, pastors, and, and we're just going to ask you, just start coming forward if you need prayer. You can start coming forward right now if you'd like. And be brave. Don't lack courage. Because this is where God sets us free. And we'll pray with you. Or if you want to just be on the altar by yourself and spend some time with him, then you go right ahead and do that. But we want to pray with you. We want to stand in the gap for you and with you. And we want to fight 
for you and with you on a spiritual plane. Amen? That's what we're called to do, church. So let's come together and let's fight these fights. Courage, dear heart.